Now, here's our working definition of being intentional. We talk about a follower of Christ who is intentional, is connected to and consumed with the person, power, and presence of Jesus that then goes out and spreads that love, that life, that message on to other people. A disciple is a person who is fully engaged with Jesus, desiring to be all they can be and the best they can be for the glory of God, who in turn is going out trying to make others be the best they can be and all they can be for the glory of God. So God wants us all to be living intentional lives. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite writers, Brennan wrote The Ragamuffin, the, a book called Abba's Child, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus. If you've never read Brennan Manning, I would highly encourage you to do so. He passed away a few years ago, but the impact that he had on my life through his writings was phenomenal. Listen to what Manning said. He said, God is the father who ran to his son when he came limping home. God weeps over us when shame and self-hatred immobilize us. God loves who we really are, whether we like it or not. He calls us to come out of hiding into a safe place with him. No amount of spiritual makeup can make us more presentable. Jesus says, come to me now. Acknowledge and accept who I want to be for you. I want to be a savior of boundless compassion, infinite patience, unbearable forgiveness, and a love that keeps no score of wrongs. God pursues us. God chases us. God loves us. And as Romans 8 would say, God is for us. And so as you walk in here today, I want you to know God's crazy about you. He made you in his image. He sent his son Jesus to redeem you uh, through the shed blood of the Lamb of God. God is crazy about you. God made you. God has been chasing you. God is pursuing you, and God wants you to be fully alive in him. Now, every person that walked in this room today, I want you to be aware of that. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know. There are five basic needs inside of the human heart. There's five I'll hit. There's probably a few more I could cover. But here are the five basic needs I want you to kind of contemplate today. Every person walked in here today with these five basic needs inside your heart. You've got this need for affirmation. Affirmation. You want to be encouraged. You want to be built up. There's not a person on this planet that does not desire affirmation. Hey, uh, who's going to encourage me? Who's going to walk with me? Who's going to tell me I've got what it takes to be a man from a female standpoint? Who's going to tell me I'm worth fighting for? Deep down inside, you're longing for affirmation. It's inside the human heart. There's another thing we long for is connectivity. Each and every one of us want to be a part of a, a community. And we really try to drive people towards small groups and toward uh, certain tracks to get you inside of a room, living in a circle with other people so that you can grow and flourish. But we believe with all of our hearts that it is absolutely essential if you're going to grow to be in community and be in connectivity because we believe deep down inside God created each and every one of us for relationship and re Relationship comes from the root word relate, which means to connect with in meaning or in thought. And you can see when people are not living in authentic community with other people, they're apt to drift and, and fade away. Here's another need. We all want to know that we have worth. We, we want to be affirmed. We want to have connectivity, but we want to know that we have worth. We want to develop. We want to grow in how we think and how we act. Deep down inside, we don't want to stay the same. 
And so we go, yeah, you, know, you know what, you're right. I, I do want to believe that I have worth, that I'm not just this random accident uh, that God put on the planet. And you're not. God said you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make junk. He's, he, he's crazy about you. You're unique. We'll unpackage part of that thinking even here today. There's another piece where we want to feel secure. We want to have an environment that allows us to be open and honest. Relationships die when there's no security. When you're not able to be open, when you're not able to be honest, when you're not able to be transparent and vulnerable, when, when you're put down by other people, you start to die. Deep down inside of all of us, we just go, man, I, I just want to be in a place where I know I'm secure, where I can risk being me, where I can risk being vulnerable, where I'm not going to be beat up all the time. And then another thing is we all long to have significance. We, we want to have a sense of accomplishment. We want to have a sense of, of achievement. Every person that walked in here today, that's part of your heart. And I know that about you. So every person I engage, I can look at saying, they're, they're looking to be encouraged, affirmed. They're, they're looking to belong some, to something bigger than themselves. They, they want to know that they have worth. They, they want to know that security is available. Then, then you've got to stop and ask the question, where will I find it? And if you're trying to find it on the horizontal in a relationship, it's not going to be there because humans will let you down. You will only find affirmation, security, significance, worth, value, love, ultimately, in the person of Jesus Christ. His love never fails. And so that's what I know about each and every one of us. Now, because I know that, I want to kind of unpackage Ephesians 2 briefly for you today. I was in Romans 10 last week. Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite chapters, if you will, in the New Testament, in the Bible, period. But I want to unpackage a little bit of this, and I would encourage you to make a few notes as we jog through it. Starting in verse 1, he says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. What do you mean I was dead? Well, because of the Adamic nature, Adam's nature, we all came through that bloodline. We're all born into the world spiritually dead. All of us. We're all born spiritually dead. We had five kids, and when they came into the world, physically they were alive. Mentally they were alive, but spiritually they were dead. Every one of them. Alienated, separated from Christ because that's how we were born. Every person that I'm looking at came into the world born spiritually dead. And that's what he says. You were, you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You were born into it, and you even practice it. He said you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Who is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God? All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires of the sinful nature, all of us lived that way. Our very nature. We were subject to God's anger by our very nature, just like everyone else but God. But, but, but God, even though we were lost, even though we were jacked up, even though we were alienated, even though we were separated, but, but God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Praise the Lord for the resurrection. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a free gift of God. It's not a result of works. Nobody can boast about it. For we are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works that God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Tap the brakes. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. What do we know about humanity? We know the longings of the heart, affirmation, security, significance, work, connectivity exists. But we also know this. Every person we meet, we know that every person we meet was born spiritually dead. We know that every person we encounter has lived in sin. All have sinned. All have lived in sin. Some are still living in sin, refusing and rejecting the gospel. But we know that about us. We know that we all obeyed evil and not God. You go, evil? I, I, I don't see myself as evil. No, no, no. When you refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus and the ways of God, we've all lived with evil behavior. It was set in our hearts. The heart is deceitful and wicked and sick. Who can understand it? That's what we were born with. That's what Ephesians is emphasizing, if you will. We deserved, all of us, God's wrath, eternal damnation, hell, separation, forever. Who deserved that? Every person I'm looking at, including Tim Cash. I was born in the world, and I deserved to go to hell, to be damned, separated, condemned forever. Man, that would be a, a bad place to stop if that's all the Scripture says. But God... If you've got a Bible, I would just circle that phrase, but God, but God loves us unconditionally. His agape has been extended and poured out. God loves you unconditionally. God doesn't love you based on your behavior. God loves you based on his character, and his character never changes, even though your behavior does change. God looks and says, do you not realize I love you? Don't you know I'll always love you even before there was time? Yes, I love you. Don't you know he extends mercy? That's what Ephesians says. Who does he extend mercy to? Every person in this room. What is the working definition of mercy? It's the kindness and compassion of God extended to those who are living in misery. Anybody in the room needed mercy in their life? Anybody ever been flooded with misery? Man, I need the mercy of God. And we know that all people are born sinners. All people are born alienated, separated. But we know, but God, but God, but God loves. God pursues. We know that God offers hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there be no resurrection, we have no message. If there be no resurrection, there's no hope beyond this life. But God says, I, I want you to know there's hope. We know that the resurrection of Jesus extends life to every person. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what your color is. Doesn't matter what your GPA, SAT. Doesn't matter. The ground at the foot of the cross is level for all. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except, no one comes to the Father except through me. I go, yes. We believe that grace has been extended. We believe that God's grace is extended because God is good, not because we can earn it. We believe that there's not a person in this room that can earn God's love, God's grace, his unmerited favor and attention. You can't earn it. It's God's grace. We believe that we receive God's grace through faith and repentance. 
We believe that when we turn and we say, God, I need you, save me, I repent, and I'm longing for you, we become God's child. And then based on the text, we believe that we become God's workmanship. The word workmanship in the Greek, love it, two portraits here. It's the portrait of a piece of art, one of a kind. And God goes, do you not realize that you are my workmanship? You're my masterpiece. You're my one-of-a-kind piece of art. If you saw people that way today, no matter who it is, you could look and say, that person is God's one-of-a-kind piece of art. They've jacked it up. They've blown it. They've royally messed it up. But they may not even know who they are. And I look at people going, well, your ability to love this person is that God desires to see that person come fully alive as his masterpiece. There's not a person on this planet this mass produced. Chad, you're his masterpiece. The other portrait is, I'm a -a one-of-a-kind piece of poetry in God's hand. Now, I only become his masterpiece when I repent and by faith and repentance really surrender I'm I'm not his masterpiece until I honestly come to know him. As we broke down believe last week, we're talking about being persuaded to action. As we talk about call on, we're talking about a desperation cry that leads me to a place of placing my allegiance, adoration, and worship all in him. And God goes, do you not realize that's who you are? I used to be dead, now I'm alive. I used to be lost, but now I'm found. I used to be a piece of junk based on the way the world told me. Now God says, you're priceless, I love you. That's who I'm talking to today. That's what God says about you. Now here would be the question. Based on God-loving people, God-loving humanity, God-creating humanity, I would ask you this. Where is your God willing to go? Who is your God willing to reach? You came in here today with a concept in view of God. Who is your God willing to reach? Then what is your God asking you to risk? What is your God asking you to give? Where is your God asking you to go? What are you going to do with it? John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was invited. Jesus and his disciples also was invited. We were there back in January in Cana of Galilee. Barb took this picture, and I was like, wow, that might have been the great, 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 great grandmother of Peter. I don't know who this lady is. But we were in Cana. And I started thinking, weddings are special occasions. And in Cana, it would be an incredible celebration in Cana. Weddings back in Jesus' day would last about a week. I was like, we were in Cana. There was a wedding. Who was getting married? We don't know. Who all attended? We don't know. What do we know? Jesus was there. What do we conclude? Jesus intentionally connected with people. He's at a wedding. There's people there. There's a woman at a well. Jesus was there. There's people hungry. Jesus was there. There's a dude by the name of Lazarus that died. Jesus was there. When you study Jesus, yeah, he would get along. He would spend time in prayer with the Father. But most often, Jesus is connecting with people. He came to ordinary places to hang out with ordinary people. And when you spend time 
like Jesus, connecting with people with compassion, it's amazing the conversations you can have. You got to connect with them. Who are you engaging with? Who are you talking to? Who are you getting to know? Who are you sharing your story with? Who are you sharing Christ's love with? Now, Paul would write, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5 that the love of Jesus compels us to get out into the world and share the good news with other people. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He says we're now his ambassadors as we go into the world. He goes, the love of Christ compels me to get out into the world and share the love of Christ with other people. It's like, man, is that what God has called all of us to do? All of us. He's called all of us to do it. Now, let me break down some characteristics of the love of Christ that I believe God desires to see manifested in each and every one of us. Love does not discriminate and compassion is not selective. Love does not discriminate. Jesus invested time with those who would be considered to be the fringe of society of that day. When you start even to read Luke 15, the prodigal and the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, the, the Pharisees and the religious people were all ticked off at him because he was hanging out with the fringe of society. He was hanging out with despicable people, outcasts, those that others turned their nose up against. I started thinking like, wow, Jesus didn't invest the majority of his time with the elite and with the popular. If Jesus had a bias toward loving others, it seemed to be toward, the, uh, toward those who were ignored and rejected. Jesus even said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, it's those who are sick. Study the life of Jesus. Where do you see him hanging out? With hurting lost people that needed a savior and a shepherd. You got to ask yourself the question, how selective or biased is my love? Am I prejudiced? Am I prejudiced toward a certain group of people? Do I think that I'm better than? Who do I turn my nose down at? Who do I refuse to engage with? Do I look at people's skin color, people's socioeconomic profile? Is my love selective? You've got to ask yourself that question. Here would be a second characteristic, if you will, of love. Love is not just talk. Love is tangible. You want to talk about an abused, overused word in our society? Throw the word love out there. Hey, I love you, man. Oh, yes, I love Duke basketball. Oh, I love popcorn. What does that mean? You hear people use the word all, all the time. Can I tell you something when I read the pages of Scripture? Love is not talk. It's tangible. Jesus never went around saying, do y'all know how much I love people? Jesus just showed it. It was tangible. If you've got to tell people that you love other people, you need to question whether you really love people. I mean, seriously, you ain't got to tell it. You just show it. I mean, you just preach the gospel with your lifestyle because what you're doing speaks so loud, most often people don't even listen to what you're saying anyway. But 
true love, if we're compelled to love other people with a gospel, it's tangible. So you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I doing today to bring tangible compassion and love to other people? Here's another one. Love is willing to slow down and make time for people. I mean, Jesus was busy. Some of us were just like, man, I'm so busy, I don't have time. You've got time. You've got 10,080 minutes in your week, just like everybody else does. You've got time. And oftentimes, God is saying, would you stop and listen to them? Hey, what's going on with you? Dustin and I, we talk about this circle back around conversation. Hey, you asked me to pray for your mom. You asked me to pray for your mom because she was going into surgery. I'm going to circle back around. I'm going to stop. I'm going to hit the brakes and go, how are you doing? How's your mom doing? Where's your mom at right now? Do you know how much that ministers to people when you take that extra step and just check in on people? Barb, she came home about five years ago. She had taken Hannah to the doctor. And she goes, I, I got to tell you a crazy story. I said, all right. She said, I take Hannah to the doctor. I'm there at the doctor, and uh, there was this girl that I saw. She said, I overheard the conversation where she was talking about her husband had just died here recently. She said, this girl was probably 32, 33 years old. Her husband had died. She had a little child there at the doctor. She said, I'm looking, and all of a sudden, they call my name. Barb Cash, Hannah. She goes, I go back to a room, and I felt like, God, you're, you're telling me I need to talk to her. You're telling me I need to hug her. She said, but I get back, the doctor comes in, checks on Hannah, and she said, by the time we walked out, she was not there. I don't know if she had left. I don't know if she was in another room. I don't know where she was. So they go by the pharmacy. They pick up whatever they need, and Barb goes, I've got to run in, uh, in Publix. Barb goes, I walk into Publix. She goes, I'm pushing the cart around to grab a few items, and all of a sudden, bam, I turn the corner, and there's that girl. And she said, I knew God wanted me to say something to her. She said, so I walked over and said, uh, this may sound weird or almost freakish or whatever, but, but I saw you at the doctor's office and I overheard you and I, I felt like God just wanted me to reach out to you. Can I give you a hug? And she said, the girl started bawling. She's like, yes, you can give me a hug. Barb still stays in contact with that girl today. And one of that girl's friends attends church here. So Barb came back and was telling this story and I was like, but that's what we have to do. Love will stop. Stop. How, how are you doing? What, what's going on? Jesse was heartbroken on Monday. My 18-year-old was heartbroken. He's like, you know the guy at the gym I, I, I told you about? Yes. Yes. The guy that I told you that I had shared with, yes, there's another couple in our church. I was talking to her Monday night as well, and she goes, we have shared with him. Another girl comes in here Wednesday. I, I, I was getting ready to do a workout class, and I was talking to that same guy the other day, and I was like, I, I had shared with him. But I wanted to invite him to church. Jesse said, I shared my faith with him. He's dead. Whatever happened, his body shut down and he's dead. And this girl looks at me the other day and she goes, I was like, well, I, I, I'll hook up with you later. She goes, Tim, there's no later. There is no later. And the urgency to extend the love of Jesus 
It's on all of us. Am I going to get to talk to him again? I don't know. D.O. Moody talks about the fire in Chicago. He had preached a message, and he said, you know what? I didn't give an invitation that day. And all of a sudden, the great fire of Chicago, it killed thousands of animals and hundreds of people. And D.L. Moody said, I will never stand and preach ever again without stopping and inviting people to Jesus. There's got to be an urgency inside. Am I willing to slow down? Am I willing to make time for people? Here's another characteristic of love. Love is sacrificial and co-suffering. Love is sacrificial. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that great voice in Germany, that evangelical voice, who was killed and martyred by Hitler and his regime for his faith. Bonhoeffer said the purpose of the church is to stand with the suffering. The purpose of the church is to stand with the suffering. Jesus described compassion as the act of suffering with others. John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. God has called us to suffer and to hurt with other people. Pain always should provoke inside of us some type of action. I've got friends going through tough times right now. Many of my friends, some are hurting greatly. And I know that God has called me, Galatians 6, to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. I was talking to my one buddy on Friday. And I said, man, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? And I know he doesn't open up with hardly anybody. But I said, man, let's pray. I know you're going to get blood work done. I know you've been battling just some stress in your life. But I love you. Because I believe that God has called me to suffer with my fellow brother my fellow sister, others that are hurting. And one of the things that we encourage people to do, back to small group, is others can walk with you, hurt with you, pray with you. They can encourage you. But woe is the man that has no community. Here's another thing I know. Love is transparent and honest. Love is transparent, but love is honest. Jesus did not have an argumentative spirit. Jesus did not have a distaste for people. And there's some people that I meet, and they're like, I could be the perfect Christian if I didn't have to deal with people. And I'm like, no, you couldn't. You can't even be a flawed follower of Jesus if you don't deal with people. You can't have a distaste for people. You can't have an argumentative spirit. Jesus was more concerned with bringing hope and healing than he was winning an argument. And some of us need to lay our argument and agenda aside. God has called us through the gospel. The love of Jesus compels us to intentionally engage with others and point them to Christ. People are born spiritually dead but God being rich in mercy, God being extravagant in love, he's calling us to reach out. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Some of you have been sitting here for weeks, for months, for years. But I, I want you to think about this. How engaged with outsiders are you? How engaged in conversation with the lost are you? Th think about this. Why don't we share the love of Jesus with other people? Why, why don't you? 
You're, you're like, I, I'm not sharing Christ. Why don't you? And there's a few things I started thinking about this week. Why, why don't we share? One of the reasons is our love for God has grown cold and we've become lukewarm. I, I'm just kind of cold and stagnant right now. I know enough to get me by. I, I know enough to get me through. But I'm cold and stagnant. I'm not in the Word. I'm not in prayer. I'm not challenging anybody else. I'm not discipling anybody else. And Dustin, the Southern Church is flooded with that mindset. No, I'm, I'm not sharing it. Because I'm cold, I'm lukewarm, I'm stagnant, I'm stale. I have no life in me. Or, or, or maybe it's because you refuse to deal with sin in your own life. You pacify sin. You tolerate sin. And you know you're a contaminated, polluted, infected vessel right now. And God's like, I can't pour myself in you and through you and touch other people until you get cleaned up. I'm holy. Now, we're always going to struggle with flaws in our life. We get that. But God's called us to a different level. And if you're entertaining sin, pacifying sin, and living in sin— you're not going to share Christ with anybody else. And I would highly encourage you, repent. Get right. The love of Christ should compel us to go into all the world. Man, I've got to go reach other people. Here's another one. Why aren't we sharing Christ? We're afraid of what others might think. Oh, yeah, I just don't want to be labeled a Jesus freak, dude. Then why do you want to be labeled? A worldly freak? You're going to be a freak no matter what. It's just who are you a freak for? <laughs> I guarantee you, any of us could engage in conversation with anybody and go, man, that dude's a freak. We're all freaks for something. What are you a freak for? If you're a people pleaser, you're not going to share Christ. Galatians 1.10 says, am I seeking the approval of God? Or am I seeking the approval of man? If I'm seeking man's approval, I will not be a servant of Christ. Who are you trying to please? What's your mission? What's your aim? Are you afraid of what others might think about you? You're not sharing you. You're sharing Christ. So it doesn't matter what they think about you. It matters what they think about Christ. I'm not trying to point people to me. When I die one day, my body is going to stay in the grave. I'm pointing them to the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, who offers life. Do you fear rejection? No, I am accepted. I am secure. I am significant. God calls me a saint. I don't need the Vatican to vote on that. That's what Master Jesus says. I'm a saint. Well, what about if they reject you? He approves of me. He loves me. If he had a wallet, my picture would be in it. Man, he's crazy about me. Come on. Why don't we share Christ? Because we become self-righteous. Some of us were saved out of a pagan heathen lifestyle. But all of a sudden, we've been walking with Jesus for a few years, and the further down the road we get, it's like, well, I don't drink. And I don't cuss, and I don't smoke, and I don't hang out with those kind of people. Well, I used to drink, and I used to smoke, and I used to cuss. 
I haven't forgot what God saved me from. The gospel is for lost people. Were you lost? Yes. Do I still need the Savior every day? Yes. Am I self-righteous? I can't bring anything to the dance. The Bible says my righteousness is like filthy rags. What you got to bring? I, I don't have anything. And we've got to lay the Pharisee mindset aside, the self-righteous mindset aside. Why aren't you sharing Christ? Really, I don't care about people. Just be straight up. Another one, people go, I just don't feel like I'm capable, equipped, and qualified. Have you met Jesus? Then share your story. Rager, we had a great talk this week. I'm so glad he's back. But we had this great talk this week. And he's like, man, I'm praying about maybe going to Bible college. That, that would be okay. I mean, that's somewhere to go. Matt, we were talking about it last night. 1882, a guy by the name of A.B. Simpson, who is a respected theologian, helped start a place called Nyack College, the first Bible college. A few years later, 1887, a guy by the name of D.L. Moody started a Bible college, Moody Bible College. Do you realize that only for the last 120, 130 years, Bible colleges have really existed? Those other guys that tried to serve Christ up until 1882 must have really been bad because they didn't have Bible college. No, any person that experiences the love of Jesus Christ and is rocked by the Holy Spirit, go share. Bible college, Peter didn't go to one. Matthew didn't go to one. Are you anti-Bible college? No, I attended for a short period of time. Did you go to seminary? No, I went to Mount Calvary and met Jesus. Do you know enough Hebrew and Greek to get by? Yes, because I live with rednecks in Loganville and they don't speak Hebrew and Greek. I don't need to quote anything out of the Latin. How many people in this room are fluent in Latin, Hebrew, and Greek? Let me see your hand. You're my kind of people. <laughs> Fall in love with Jesus. Man. Get into the Word. Get strong. I mean, Dustin, I look at our staff. Nope, Dustin, he didn't go to seminary. Nick? Nope. Steve? Nope. Now, Rick, on the other hand, is a smart intellectual kid. He was an adjunct professor. But we're trying to teach him how to identify with his culture here now. We're trying to educate Rick. Joe? Come on. Joe was in the third of the class that made the upper two-thirds possible. Hang out with him. You'll feel good about yourself. Why don't we share Christ? You know why we don't share Jesus, I think, for some of you sitting here, is that we ignore the reality of heaven and hell. We treat, we treat humanity and we treat this life like this is all there is. If there is no heaven and hell, I'm in bed this morning. If there's no heaven and hell and no hope beyond this life, I'm not getting up. I'm strung out, I'm sedating, I'm medicating like the world. If there's no hope, but if there is a such thing as eternal life, and if there is such a thing as abundant life, I'm getting up early. 
I want to engage with you today. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly to the full. I believe, I believe God wants you to live a full life, fully alive in Christ today. But I believe in eternity. And that's the reason I think my son was heartbroken the other day over the death of this young man. Because the evidence appears to reveal that there's no relationship with Jesus. And when you look at a person and you realize, that's the last time I will ever see him, don't create false hope going, well, I'll see you in heaven. People that reject Jesus don't go to a better place. People that refuse the gospel are not in a better place. Hell is legit. And one of the compelling factors inside of me to extend the love of Christ to others is to realize abundant life is on the line and eternal life is on the line. It should compel us and motivate us to share Christ with our world. So here's, here's the close for you. God calls us his partners and co-heirs. I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I have become a, a partaker of the divine nature of Christ. That's what Scripture says. If you are a child of God, if you've repented, if you've placed your faith and confidence in Christ, you are God's masterpiece. You're a one-of-a-kind piece of art that God is wanting to show the world. So you are. Go reveal the image of your maker to the world. Here's the second thing. God commands us to witness and share our story. I've had people tell me, well, I was just waiting for the still small voice. God's already commanded you to go share the gospel. If you're waiting on a still small voice before you'll go share the gospel, you'll be sitting there forever. God didn't stutter. God has spoken. God says, go into all the world. Who? All of us. Every person on the planet is of infinite value to God. How much is a soul worth? So much that God was willing to clothe himself in flesh and die a criminal's death being murdered in Golgotha. How much is a soul worth, God? Look at my son. How much is a soul worth, Jesus? that I would be willing to die a criminal's death, murdered, beaten, brutally shredded, to offer hope and healing to all of mankind? Who do you know that's lost? Make a list. Here are the people that I know are lost. This person's unchurched. There's been no fruit in their life that indicates that they really know Jesus. Family, friend, co-worker. Who do you know? Make a list. Start praying for them today. Ask them if you can share your story. Can I share with you what Christ has done in my life? Invite them to be a part of this fellowship here. But don't just say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Share your story. It might be the last time you get with them. Share Christ. Share the hope of the gospel. We're not promised another opportunity. We're not. 
Invite them to be a part of what God's doing here at the cross, but share your story. Share the hope of the gospel. I'd rather people know Jesus and never walk in this door than just trying to get butts in the seats of people that have never heard the gospel because you wouldn't share it with them. Share your story. Grab cards. Pass them out to your friends. Pass them out to your coworkers. Pass it out. Now, remember, let's circle back around. God is the father who ran to his son when he came limping home. God weeps over us when shame and self-hatred immobilize us. God loves who you really are, whether you like it or not. He calls you to come out of hiding into a safe place with him. He wants you to know that no amount of spiritual makeup can make you more presentable to him. He loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He says, come to me now, acknowledge and accept who I am. Acknowledge and accept what I want to be for you. I'm a savior of boundless compassion, infinite patience, unbearable forgiveness, and my love keeps no score of wrongs. Come to Christ, and if you know him, go share this incredible love with your world.